Hello, and welcome to episode 296 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR, and we are coming off of a shitty football kind of week. Yes, that's right. Week, te- week 12 was a slate in which very few offensive teams played well. And, and I think injuries certainly have at least a little to do with it. You know, what's happened to the Titans skill players is just disgraceful. Big Ben, you know, is not an NFL quarterback anymore. You know, Cam Newton was on the street all year for a reason. The, the Jaguars are inept. Even the Chargers, my God, my Chargers, they were really bad. Really, though, I mean, if we're being honest, it would be impossible for me to care less about this real football quality stuff. Like, I don't really care about football. I mean, you guys know me. I have my DOTL, Dick on the Line, and DFS and props. You know, I love to gamble on football. I don't love football itself. So to me, the question isn't about the play, uh, you know, the quality of play or the state of the NFL or anything like that. It's just how can we profit off this? And and that's kind of the point that I wanted to make. I see so many people saying, Oh, how can Chris Godwin, you know, go 4-24-0? How can Mike Pittman fail? How can Christian McCaffrey look horrible and then get hurt? How can Evan Ingram be so bad? You know, fantasy football is so dumb. And, and I get that. I get that frustration. I do. But put people who say stuff like that are just outing themselves as people who, in my opinion, like aren't thinking about the game of DFS the right way. You know, in order to be a peak GPP bro, a king GPP bro, if you will, I think we have to look at the unpredictability and chaos of a single NFL slate, not as a bug, but a feature, you know, as an opportunity, wrap our heads around the fact that the NFL is wild and crazy shit happens every week. You know, I think at Establish the Run, we're really good at predicting what's going to happen on a player level. You know, I think we're the best at it and it's not even close if we're being honest, but that doesn't mean that unpredictable things won't happen. I mean, it's one football game. So the goal in tournaments is to take advantage of the chaos. And no one on earth is better at doing this right now than our own spreadsheet virgin himself, Mike Leone, who has won the Thunderdome twice in four weeks for a total of 110K and has been just smashing a ton of other stuff. I mean, what he's doing at a, at a really high level is pretty simple, right? Figure out what his opponents will do. Be sure not to do that then find high ceiling guys with reasonable base projections that his opponents won't be on, correlate it. You know, so like in the Dome this week, he was the only one to play Cordero Patterson. You know, he was one of two people with Adam Thielen. He was the only one with the Big Ben stack, only one with Dolphins D, etc. You know, and I'll just give a concrete example from this past week. You know, in the 4,400 buy-in on DraftKings this week, Chris Godwin was 30.7% owned. And I like Chris Godwin a lot. I thought he was a really strong play. But 30.7% at a 7K price tag? Like, you don't even need full-blown chaos for Chris Godwin to fail or for Mike Evans to outscore him. I mean, Mike Evans was 9%. You know, the base projection between Godwin and Evans wasn't all that different, and neither was the ceiling. So to have it at 30% versus 9% is insane. So, you know, the field is overconfident in its ability to predict what will happen. And we can capitalize on that chaos in tournaments, you know, hopefully. Um, and obviously, you know, it's a lot more complicated than that. I'd recommend the every, uh, I'd recommend listening or watching every Saturday show with Mike and Dink. And then also the YouTube uh, vid and the previous episode, episode 295 of this podcast I did with Leone yesterday for more. But, you know... Instead of like bitching about the uncertainty, you know, use it. You know, bitching is just never, ever, ever the answer to anything in life, period. You know, 
No excuses. Play like a champion. Um, second quick point I have to make here is hopefully should be a really simple one. Like I cannot take people. This is really tilting me. I cannot take people commenting on the raw scores in DFS. Like, oh, Adam, yeah, you only scored 119 points and, and you won, you know, 80% of your head to heads. Oh, well, you must be playing against idiots. Uh, Leone only scored 150 uh, points and, and he, he won 60,000. Uh, he's playing against idiots. Like these mouth breathing morons are literally never going to win. Like it should be obvious, but I guess that it's not. Our goal is not to score the most points each week in DFS. It is to beat the other people in the contest, beat our enemies. And I, I guess that sounds like a really subtle shift, but if you think about it, it's a big, big difference. I mean, so yeah. Just to get that off my chest. A couple other things uh, on week 12, uh, but I wanted to remind everyone that if you're watching this on YouTube, please hit subscribe. If you're listening anywhere podcasts are found, please hit subscribe there too. It's free. And just doing that little thing, hitting subscribe helps us keep the YouTube and the podcast content free. As for cash on DraftKings in week 12, I mean, I've never seen a slate like this ever. And I don't mean what happened. I mean, going into the slate, I had never seen a slate like this in my entire life. There wasn't a single play at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, or tight end. I was like fist pumping into my lineup. Just wild. Zero good plays, I thought. Like the exact opposite of a prove it week. And then you see it end out with like legit good cash players scoring, you know, 60 points, 70 points. I absolutely smashed with 117. And I don't think there's any like giant takeaways here. You know, doubt we ever see a week like that again. You know, not in terms of low scores. Like we'll definitely see a week with really low scores again. I mean, we won't see a week like that again in terms of zero good plays on the slate. Uh, oh, props. So yeah, I just wanted to give some context around what we're thinking on props right now. So we came into week 11 averaging 14.9 NFL props per week and hitting at a rate of 65.8%, which is absolutely ridiculous, like an absolutely ridiculous win rate. Um, my first instinct is when I'm looking at props, you know, my first instinct is to be really picky and only bet the best stuff, you know, only bet the slam dunks. But in reality, that's not the right strategy if we're trying to win the most money. Like if you said you had a 66% hit rate, I should be immediately saying you're not betting enough volume. You're not betting enough smaller edges. In other words, if we only bet stuff that shows a 20% ROI or more, we're missing out on a lot of raw dollars. You know, we could bet stuff all the way down to what stuff that's showing like only a 5% ROI. And of course, that's going to lead to a lower win rate, but ideally more actual money. You know, would is it better to go uh, 20 and 13 or 5 and 0? You know, assuming standard juice on the former, we'd win 570 on $100 units. And on the latter, we'd win 500. So 20 and 13 is better than 5 and 0. So this past week, we made a concerted effort to bet more stuff, bet more volume. You know, Leone was in there blasting on these shitty player overs. You know, we bet some things that we definitely would have passed on earlier. We ended up with 24 bets in week 12, still managed to go 17 and 7, which is absurd. So now we're feeling really freaky. You know, we'll see how it goes this week, but maybe we push over 30 bets, you know, ideally get into that 60, you know, 58 to 62% win rate window long-term at really high volume. 
So yeah, I'm excited for that to just blast. Um, if you're interested in getting alerts when we bet so you can get the lines, uh, you must be in our subscriber-only Discord, Discord, by the way, uh, is part of the regular season, regular in-season package. Uh, last thing before we get to the listener questions, the fourth ever ETR subscriber league went down on Sunday. Big congrats to Ralphie J for taking it down. He had the Green Bay uh, LA Rams game stack without cup. So he had Aaron Rodgers, Devontae, MVS, Van Jefferson, Daryl Henderson. You know, considering how efficient those offenses could be, they were just projecting so poorly. It was hard for me to get them in there, you know, from a base perspective. But yeah, Rodgers, Devontae, MVS, Van Jeff, DeHendo. And then he also had Lenny and Elijah Mitchell, Uncle Len and Elijah Mitchell at running back. You know, obviously huge difference makers there. Six guys at under 10%. Congrats, man. Great team. You know, the Eli Mitchell stuff, I was worried that, his pass game role was going to be stone zero and like he would need touchdowns and hundred yards to get there. And Kyle Shanahan just loves this guy, like broken finger ribs. doesn't matter. Like get him out there. And, and he's made a huge difference for the team. So great play there. All right. Enough is enough. Let's get to everyone's favorite portion of the program. The listener questions, producer Luke hit the theme music. Thanks to everyone for the questions. Got a ton of good ones. Going to do as many as I can today, and then I'll get to as many as I can next week. Question one from Gavin. He says, what's your ZFG, zero fucks given number? 10 million, 15 million? What's the amount of money you would need to retire and give ZF, zero fucks, about the vast majority of things? I, I You know, good question. I, I think for people who just, you know, work and work and work all the time, they aren't smelling the roses. I think this is a good thought exercise. Like, when is it enough? You know, how many yachts can you water ski behind? You know, and when it is enough, and when it is enough, you know, then what? Like, what do you do every day? What do you actually want to do with your time? I think it's kind of a hard thing to wrap your head around. One thing I know for sure, I think people can underestimate lifestyle changes. So like, Maybe you think, you know, 5 million or 10 million is all the money in the world, right? And it certainly sounds like it. But if you have 10 million, you know, maybe you're flying first class and maybe you have a couple of houses and maybe you have a lot of people relying on you, you know, and your family and friends. And, and, you know, maybe instead of my Honda Pilot, you're driving like the big Mercedes SUV. I mean, who knows, you know, maybe you get used to paying, you know, for the 10K a night escort service instead of the girls, you know, at the bar at the Rio, you know? I mean, who knows what you're into, right? My, my point is just that you can have a number for your current lifestyle, but the lifestyle you get when you get rich, you know, can be expensive. So anyways, back, back to the question, like, I really try not to think about money this way, like X number and then I'll be happy or, or, or Y number and then I'll be free. Um, I think the goal is just to never have to think about it, you know? Oh, you know, the flight costs this, no worries. The strawberries are $7, you know, that's absurd, but whatever, you know, I'm just personally, like I'm not into cars or fancy clothes or flying private or playing golf or eating caviar or whatever it is that rich people do. Like, I I don't know. I I just, I'm not that into that stuff. So I think it would be hard for me to blow through a ton fast. Um, I think a larger point though, like when it comes to DFS or props or poker or crypto or, or, or whatever, like I've learned about myself. It's like, I just love to grind. Like I really do. I love to grind. I love to battle. I love to compete. Uh, I love to win, uh, but 
it's not fun unless you feel it, you know, or, or if you need it, you know, when I had $4,000 to my name and I was playing 2040 limit hold'em, I mean, that was fucking terrifying and, and fun at the same time, you know? So I, I feel like I'll always be grinding in some way or another, uh, just keep playing bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, if I have more money so you can actually feel it. But yeah, I don't know. It's a tough question to answer for sure. Um, thanks Gavin. Question two from Wakar, he says, on slates like yesterday, do you ever change your approach in contest selection? Like I felt yesterday was a better GPP slate than cash, and I really thinned down on how much cash I played. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. I think it'd be silly not to adjust how much volume you have in play if you have a good read on when you're getting it in good and not. I mean, when I feel great about my team, like if I think it's a clear-cut prove-it week, like the, the team that I'm playing is so obvious and anything else is bad, then yeah, I'm firing more on that team uh, in, in the right contest. But this year, I'm pretty much, for my cash game action this year, I'm pretty much only playing head-to-heads. You know, I'm trying to focus more on tournaments uh, instead. So I'll never turn down head-to-head action. Like really doesn't matter what the slate looks like, how I feel about the team. Like I'll play head-to-head action anytime. So even though I didn't feel great about Sunday, I still had the normal amount in play because it's just all the head, head-to-heads that I pick, pick up that I put out got picked out throughout the week. And so I'm obviously playing them. Question three from Evan. He says, Adam, what happened to the Jerry Bark model? Maybe that will help my lineup construction when listening to the Kama Sutra show. Yeah, thanks for asking, man. Um, I've actually had a bunch of you ask about Jerry and, and I appreciate it. I know she hasn't been a big part of the show lately, but she's doing ra- she's doing really well. Um, she's like eight now, which is crazy. When we got here, when we first got her, I don't think I even had ever really played DFS before, which is crazy to think about. Um, Anyways, I know people used to love when she would bark during the podcast. Like the whole idea is that she would bark when she liked to play. So if I was talking about Darren Waller on a podcast and she barked, well, you know, that meant that Darren Waller was going to go off. Um, Obviously, puppies bark more than adult dogs, so she's not barking as much. But the other thing is that we've moved from the city to a house. Like, And in the city, every time people would walk past our door, which was pretty much constantly... Like she would just go nuts. Um, now, you know, we, we are in a house, we're in the burbs, you know, no one is ever around. It's just like the sound of pain as everyone awaits their next Olive Garden meal or, or, or kids soccer game, you know, but, but man, you know, she, she's still the best. I mean, this dog, I mean, all dogs really, they, all they want is love. They just give and give and give and, and want nothing in return except our love. It's really the best thing in the world. And, and I also say that it's kind of cliche, like the standard line for, so many people is get a dog, you know, get a girlfriend, you know, get married, move to the suburbs, have kids. And like, when you take that line for a lot of people, I feel like the dog turns into an afterthought, you know, and it's kind of sad, actually. It's just, I get it. It's just easy to get overwhelmed with kids and the dog becomes less of a priority. But I promise guys, I I would never let that happen with Jerry. You know, each night before I shower, I get completely naked, you know, stone cold buck naked, pick her up and press her warm, furry, heaving body against mine and you know she still knows that she's my number one question four from andy he says when and why do you stray from the etr optimal in cash games yeah man i I rarely play the etr optimal like rarely if ever um maybe like once or twice in the last two years I've played the ETR optimal. And, and by the way, what Andy means by the ETR optimal is just taking our base projections, running them through an optimizer and seeing what the highest projected 
lineup is. But like, there's so much more to DFS than that. You know, understanding range of outcomes in their projections, understanding floor and ceiling combos, understanding slate dynamics to me is huge. Um, so I do think that running the eat your optimal or something that's in the, you know, top five optimals is enough to win at low stakes or against your buddies, um, at a higher level, it's going to take a little more than just pressing a button and trying to print money. And that's why we do the shows and have all the other content, you know, to add context. Question five from Tim. He says, assuming you've watched enough of it, who would be your favorite character from Seinfeld and why? Ha oh, Tim. Buddy, you are talking to a two-time winner of a major, major Seinfeld trivia contest back in Philadelphia, but which these Seinfeld trivia contests were fun, but also like an absurdly virgin activity. Um, actually, Jerry is named after Seinfeld. You know, we spell it G-E-R-R-I. If you guys remember the John Voight cars, John Voight's car episode, George thinks that he bought the car of the actor John Voight. But then he finds something in the glove box and it's the name is spelled J-O-N instead of J-O-H-N. And Jerry says, yeah, you know, you're right. Sometimes I spell Jerry with a G and an I, you know, and, and uh, so, yeah, that's where we got the name Jerry from. But I don't know. I've never really been into TV or, or, or TV shows. I've only really watched two, Seinfeld and Curb. Um, that's pretty much it. And, and if we're talking main characters, you know, my favorite is so obviously George, you know, it's just he's just the best. And then. I, I, it's sad, but like I identify with George the most. And then Larry on curb is just, you know, another level of George. Like, I think it's really hard for me to like, to like anyone who doesn't like curb. Question six from the donk 33. He says, is there a reverse Bible narrative? Think the stories about DK Metcalf and the orgies don't jive well with the hardcore Christian values of Russell Wilson. Thou shall not get the target sinner. Yeah, so I talked about this on the podcast. When the DK Metcalf OnlyFans foursome story first broke, I talked about this on the podcast, and I saw this as a threat. You know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I saw this as a threat to DK Metcalf. And um, anyways, for those guys who aren't caught up on the story, like Russ Wilson, of course, is very religious. He's like a born-again Christian or I don't know, something like that. You know, he didn't have the sex with Ciara until they were married, the whole deal. And like... Tyler Lockett, Bible narrative with Tyler Lockett is crazy strong. Gerald Everett, major Bible narrative, like Wentz-Pittman levels. And then a month ago, as I talked about on this podcast, the story breaks that DK Metcalf was talking to some OnlyFans girl and like she was going over to his house and then he sent her home when he realized like a foursome wasn't going to happen. You know, just a great story. You know, DK, uh, DK Metcalf, you know, at a minimum uh, is on the board of the team. But now... Since the OnlyFans story broke, which Russ like undoubtedly considers a sin, you know, it's been ugly, man. I mean, DK Metcalf's lines since Russ Wilson returned three games ago are 326-0, 431-0, and 113-0. I mean, pathetic. So yeah, I you know, I I I warned about this a few weeks ago, you know, reverse Bible narrative, sinner narrative, going to hell narrative, Satan narrative. I'm workshopping all of those. Uh, various names let me know what you like best let's let's make it a thing question seven from bjd he says adam what is a good return rate on best ball entries or teams advancing in best ball tourneys that i can show to the wife to justify staying on the hashtag team i realize no money has been made yet and it's paper profits but say i maxed out 150 entries in underdogs best ball million two what's a good rate 
Yeah, well, this isn't hard to figure out, BJD. I mean, two out of 12 teams advance, so the average person would get around 16.5% of their entries through. I think if you got 25% through, that would be really, really strong. Um, Anything above 25% would be exceptional. Um, But in terms of justifying it to your wife, I mean, let's be honest, man. You you tied up money for seven-plus months in, in a weighted lotto, essentially, which, you know, there's like the best ball tournaments are like kind of like the Millie maker, you know, weighted lotto. And over these last seven months, if you put that money in literally any other asset, I mean, it would have been a fucking printing press, right? So, you know, I don't think that your 18% advance rate in best ball is going to get you on the team. Uh, BJD, sorry to break the news, buddy. Question eight from tissue. He says, Adam, I've been campaigning cantaloupe as one of the most underrated fruits of all time. Two-part question here. One, what is your most underrated fruit? And two, is honeydew the worst fruit of all time? Yeah, I do like fruit. I mean, I do like fruit. There's nothing really like good, fresh fruit. Um, My favorite fruit and probably the most underrated fruit to me is a plum. It's so hard to find consistently good plums. And I've actually noticed that the ones that are really good typically come from Chile. And I've never been to Chile but man, I would love to go on like a plum trip, you know, just go down to Chile, you know, a few beers, a few laughs, a few plums, you know, uh, sounds amazing. Um, I have no comments on, on honeydew. It's not really my thing, but you know, not terrible. All right. Question nine. Last question we're going to do today comes from Cash God. He says, Adam, is it fair to wonder whether the shit chest narrative has already become stronger than the breakfast narrative just two games into Odell Beckham's LA career. He tied Cooper Cup for the team lead in targets, including an absolute bomb straight to the chest in the fourth quarter. Uh, Good question. Good question, Cash Dog. So what Cash Dog is referring to here is a story from September of 2020. Uh, A young woman went on a podcast or a radio show or something and alleged that Odell had a scat fetish, you know, a poop fetish. She alleged that Odell Beckham liked to be shitted on, like, in a, in a sexual way. And honestly, like, I never really believed the story, like, you know. But whatever, I'll play along here, Cash God. I guess what I'm missing, though, here is the narrative. Like, are you suggesting that Matthew Stafford is also a scat man and they've bonded over this? You know, I find that really, really hard to believe. Or, or maybe you're suggesting that Stafford's rocket arm propels the football into Odell's chest and reminds him of the sexual fetish that he has. I mean, that's pretty thin, man. So as the president of the joke fantasy football narrative streets, um, I just can't allow this. I'm sorry. All right. That is going to do it for this edition of the solo pod. We'll be back later tonight with Silva to go team by team. If you haven't tried out ETR, Yet, reminder, we do have weekly and monthly packages available on the subscribe page. For producer Luke, for Jerry, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.